Lesson 1 of The Elements of Herpetology and Ichthyology. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicalia. The Elements of Herpetology and Ichthyology by William Ruschenberger. Lesson 1. Herpetology. Lesson 1. General Characters. Form. Skeleton. Motion. Nervous system. Senses. Nutrition. Apparatus of digestion. Blood. Respiration. Lungs. Temperature. Secretion. Eggs. Classification. Class of Reptiles. 1. That part of natural history which treats of reptiles is named herpetology. From the Greek erpeton, a creeping thing, a reptile, and logos, a discourse. 2. The class of reptiles comprises those oviparous vertebrate animals that have cold blood, an aerial respiration, and an incomplete circulation. They have lungs like mammals and birds, but their circulatory apparatus is always so arranged that a part of the venous blood mingles with the arterial, without having passed through the respiratory organ, and in general, this mixture takes place in the heart, which has a single ventricle, into which both auricles open. 3. In their general form, reptiles bear a closer resemblance to mammals than to birds, but in this respect they vary very much. The head is almost always small, and the body much elongated. Sometimes they are entirely without extremities, or only possess vestiges of them, but most of these animals have four paws, formed for walking or swimming. Ordinarily, their extremities are too short to prevent the body from dragging on the ground, and, instead of being parallel to the axis of the body and moving in this direction, they generally stand out from the side and move from without inwards, perpendicularly to the axis of the body, an arrangement very unfavorable to locomotion. Most reptiles seem to creep rather than walk, from which circumstance they derive their name. 4. The skeleton in reptiles is composed of almost the same bones as those we have already seen in mammals and birds, but it often happens that some among them are entirely wanting. Serpents, for example, have no extremities, nor have they any sternum, and frogs have no ribs. 5. The head, in the arrangement of its bones, resembles that of birds more than that of mammals. The cranium is small. The face is generally much elongated, and the lower jaw is suspended from a tympanic bone, which is placed between it and the cranium. In general, the head is articulated with the vertebral column by a single tubercle, or condyle, which has many facets, and possesses only very slight mobility. 6. The structure of the vertebral column differs extremely in the different reptiles. In serpents, it is very long and very flexible. In frogs, it is very short and slightly movable, and in tortoises, its middle part is united so as to form a single bony piece. 7. Generally, the ribs are very numerous. In serpents, they exist through almost the entire length of the body, the same as the case in certain reptiles resembling lizards, while in others, these bones are merely rudimentary or entirely wanting. In tortoises, they are soldered, as it were, to each other, and with the dorsal portion of the vertebral column, 
from the great shield or buckler which covers the backs of these animals and which is called carapax. 8. Without being as much developed, the bones of the shoulder are very analogous to those of birds. The anterior extremity consists of an arm composed of a single bone, the humerus, a forearm consisting of a radius and ulna, generally distinct from each other, and a hand which is sometimes in the form of a fin and sometimes resembling a foot. 9. The movements of reptiles are, in general, less active and less sustained than those of animals with warm blood, as might be anticipated from the more limited character of their respiration. For there always exists an intimate relation between these two functions. Their muscles receive less blood, and are of a whitish tint, and it is also remarked that these organs preserve their irritability for a longer time after they have been removed from the influence of the nervous system. In warm-blooded animals, the destruction of the brain and spinal marrow, or a section of a nerve, is at once followed by a complete paralysis, either general or local, and, very soon after this phenomenon occurs, it becomes impossible to excite muscular contraction by pricking or otherwise stimulating the affected parts. In reptiles, on the contrary, the faculty of moving under the influence of stimulation is preserved under similar circumstances for a very long time. For example, the tail of a lizard detached from the body continues to move for several hours, and we may often see a tortoise that has been apparently dead for several days move its limbs when the muscles are stimulated by pricking them. We may conclude that, in these animals, the division of the physiological labor and localization of the different functions of the nervous system are not carried so far as in mammals and birds, and hence there is a less intimate dependence of the different parts of the economy upon each other. 10. The encephalon of reptiles is but little developed. The surface of the brain is smooth and without convolutions. The two hemispheres are oval, more or less elongated, and internally hollowed by a single ventricle. The spinal marrow, compared with the brain, is very much developed, and it is also remarked that the nerves are longer proportionally to the volume of the central parts of the nervous system than in the superior animals. 11. Most reptiles have no special organ of touch, and the nature of their integuments prevents their tactile sensibility from being much developed. It is true that in some of them the skin is entirely naked, and the epidermis is scarcely distinct, but for the most part it is covered by a thick epidermic layer composed of horny or bony plates which are more or less hard. In reptiles with a naked skin and an epidermis of moderate consistence, it is frequently detached and renewed, and in those animals where it is mostly consistent, it becomes detached at different seasons of the year to give place to a new epidermis. Sometimes this kind of molting is partial, or at least the epidermis only falls off in flakes. But at other times it is entirely detached, and preserves the form of the animal upon which it grew. Serpents shed their coats this way several times in the course of the year. 12. The eyes are ordinarily small, but in their structure are like those of mammals and birds, but there is rarely found in them any prolongation or fold of the retina resembling the pecten. The orbits are incomplete, 
and generally there is a third eyelid which is semi-transparent and moves traversely. 13. The structure of the ear is less complicated than in the superior animals. The external ear is almost always entirely wanting. There is no auditory canal, and the tympanum is on a level with the head and exposed, or concealed beneath the skin. The organ of smell is but little developed. The nasal fossa are generally very small, and the pituitary membrane, the lining membrane of the nose, presents few or no folds. 14. Most reptiles swallow their food without chewing it, and their sense of taste appears to be very dull. The tongue is sometimes thick and fleshy, but in general it is thin, dry, very protractile, and often bifid. It sometimes becomes an organ of prehension, the play of which is very remarkable. 15. Few animals live exclusively upon vegetable matter. Almost all of them are carnivorous, and, with some exceptions, they hunt living prey, which they generally swallow whole. The selection of the animals upon which they feed is, in a measure, regulated by the dimensions of their mouth. Most of them drink but little, and they can fast for a very long time without inconvenience. 16. The mouth is deeply cleft, and generally armed with teeth, which are sometimes found in the palate as well as in the jaws. They are almost always of a conical form, and, in general, in place of being lodged in alveoli, they are soldered, as it were, by their base to the bone that sustains them. In some reptiles that are without teeth, the jaws are covered by a horny plate, the edges of which are trenchant, like the beak of a bird, but they never have fleshy and movable lips like mammals. 17. Glandular organs in considerable numbers ordinarily surround the mouth of mammals and pour into it either a gluey humor or saliva. Sometimes there are also glands very closely resembling salivary glands which secrete a violent poison. 18. As it is not necessary for their food to remain in the mouth for mastication, a veil of the palate would have been, in general, useless, and in fact it rarely exists. In most of these animals, the pharynx is not distinct from the mouth, and often there is not a well-defined line of demarcation between the esophagus and stomach, which is simple and various in form. The intestines are short and without a cecal appendix. The large intestine differs little from the small and terminates in a cloaca. The liver is generally voluminous, and there is a gallbladder, pancreas, and spleen. 19. The blood of these animals is red, and its globules are elliptical. Their volume is much greater than in mammals and in birds, and the number of them is considerably less. The disposition of the circulatory apparatus varies, but there is always a direct communication between the vascular system of red, arterial blood, and the vascular system of black, venous blood, so that these two liquids mingle with each other, and the organs receive only blood, imperfectly arterialized by the act of respiration. The heart is almost always composed of two auricles, which empty into a single ventricle. Therefore, the arterial blood coming from the lungs and received in the left auricle, and the venous blood coming from different parts of the body into the right auricle, mingle in the common ventricle. One part of this mixture returns by the aorta to the different organs it is destined to nourish, and another goes to the lungs, through the pulmonary arteries, 
which rise immediately from the common ventricle or from the aorta itself. It appears that in crocodiles, the heart is the same in form as it is in birds and mammals, and a partition separates the right ventricle from the left. Therefore, the arterial does not mingle with the venous blood, but there is a particular arrangement of the arteries which affects this mixture at a short distance from the heart, and the vessels of all the posterior half of the body only receive imperfectly arterialized blood. Until lately, it was believed that, in other animals of this class, the Batrachians, there was, on the contrary, but a single ventricle, but it has been demonstrated to be otherwise. 20. Respiration is carried on with little activity in reptiles. Most of these animals consume but little oxygen, and can be deprived of it for a long time without becoming asphyxiate. Temperature exerts the greatest influence over this function, and in the warm season, the necessity of breathing is more vividly felt than in winter. A frog, for example, deprived of air in the summer, perishes in less than two hours, while in winter, it will continue to live for several days. In some reptiles, there are branchiae, gills, during the early period of life, but the lungs are soon developed, and then the branchiae disappear, so that the same animal has at first an aquatic and afterwards an aerial respiration. There are some even that preserve these organs throughout life, and which, having lungs at the same time, are completely amphibious. But most reptiles have lungs only. We must not conclude, however, that their respiration is exclusively aerial, for in many of these animals the skin is also a respiratory organ, and can act on the air dissolved in the water as well as upon the oxygen of the atmosphere. In some reptiles, this cutaneous respiration is even so active as to be, under certain circumstances, sufficient for the maintenance of life. 21. The organization of the lungs is not favorable to great activity of respiration. Their air cells are very large, and consequently the vascular surface designed for contact with the air is but of little extent. They are not lodged in a particular cavity, the thorax not being separated from the abdomen by a diaphragm, and the air is renewed in them with less facility and less regularity than in the superior animals. 22. Reptiles are all cold-blooded animals. That is, they do not produce sufficient heat to maintain a temperature above that of the atmosphere. Their whole body is warmed or cooled at the same time with the surrounding medium, and the changes of temperature which they experience powerfully influences all their functions. A temperature of about 100 to 120 degrees of Fahrenheit's thermometer is promptly fatal to most of these animals, and cold tends to abase all vital phenomena in them. In winter, most of them cannot digest substances taken in the stomach, and they do not take food. Their respiration is also lowered in the most remarkable manner. A frog, for example, which in summer dies from asphyxia in less than two hours by the complete deprivation of atmospheric air, or even by strangulation, can, in the cold season, resist asphyxia for several days and live for many months without taking air into the lungs, but solely by the assistance of cutaneous respiration. Reduction of temperature often produces in reptiles a lethargic state, analogous to that of hibernating animals. 23. Except the production of poison in certain serpents, 
the secretions of this class of animals are not particularly remarkable twenty four having no means of suckling their young reptiles are reproduced like birds by the means of eggs in some instances the eggs are hatched before they are laid and the animals in which this phenomenon takes place are said to be ovoviviparous twenty five this class is composed of four great natural divisions namely first the tortoises second the lizards and other reptiles resembling them in organization third the serpents and fourth the frogs and other reptiles of analogous structure these four orders are designated under the names of chelonia sauria ophidia and batrachia the principal characters which distinguish them may be seen in the following table end of lesson one